Hey, good morning, y'all. Good morning, good morning. Thankful that y'all are here. My name's Ed Griffin Hagen. I am one of the pastors on our staff at Church on the Trail. You know, I got to tell y'all, um, every Sunday morning early, I'm in that closet praying for, kind of just praying for everything that's going to take place that the Lord would bring whoever he intends to be here, here, or to be watching on Facebook or on YouTube. And, uh, and every Sunday morning, I pray, Lord, let the let your Holy Spirit be all over the worship team. Let the, let our worship team lead everybody here into the very present, into, into your very presence. I think they achieved that today. I don't know how y'all felt during that worship, but I was cascading tears. I mean, holy mackerel, it was unbelievable. The song, King of Kings. Man, we're going to worship the King of Kings today. Uh, I want to, before we do... So before we get started, I got I want to give you one more little announcement about Easter. Easter's in four or five weeks. This year we're doing Easter in this building. We're going to do. We're not doing it outdoor. Um, we're going to have three worship services: eight thirty, ten o'clock, and eleven thirty. We're going to have kids, a ramped up kids stuff for the last two services: the uh, the ten o'clock and the eleven thirty. And so we we need uh, a lot of kids volunteers. And so I'm, I'm, I'm urging, I'm asking, I'm requesting. If I see you out there, I'm going to bend your arm behind your back. But we need folks to jump in and serve <clears throat> on Easter in our kids and our TOTS program. There's a sign-up sheet out there. You can see Allison Juder and Nikki Lopez. Nikki is back in TOTS and Allison is next door in kids. But I'm urging you all to serve on Easter. So as we get started today, I want to say a, a little uh, a little prayer because, you know, our our topic today, where we are in Romans, uh, in Paul's letter to the church in Rome, it's a little difficult. And so let me pray, if y'all would, <clears throat> close your eyes and just pray and, and, and pray along with me. And Lord, my prayer today is that all of us would listen to you. We like to talk and we like to ask and we like to request that you do this and that for us, Lord, but my prayer today is that we would just be still, that we would be quiet, that we would listen for your voice, that we would hear you, that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, we know that in the times that we live in, that the primary way, Lord, that you communicate with us is through your word, the truth claims that your word makes, the truths that are contained in your word. So, Lord, let us listen for that today. Let us listen for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. So y'all, I think that we can all agree that for the last four, five, six months, maybe longer, we've suffered through election time. Raise your hand if, if you would describe it that way. Did you suffer through election time? The rest of you that ain't raising your hands are absolutely lying through your teeth. <laughs> Because we all suffered through that. It was a fierce, ugly battle that was waged to win the votes of Americans. Both the Democrats and Republicans are blowing up the media. I mean, your phone is ringing off the hook with all his recorded messages. If it's not a recorded mess, now it's a recorded message that says the warranty on your car is expired or something. <laughs> like, I don't know how that works. But I guess the... The politicians sold the, the, your phone numbers to the car warranty people. I don't know. 
I'm sorry I took us in a trail, in a rabbit hole. But they're trying to get your vote. You know, it's blowing up social media and this and that. They're trying to get your vote. And the, the pundits and the spinmeisters are telling you about this issue and that issue and who they're going to vote for. And you need to jump on their bandwagon and vote with them. And there's signs and there's posters and there's, you know, yard signs and there's advertising. And all of them are plastering their candidates' names all over everything to try to get your vote. And whether you're on, uh, on some social media platform or whether you're in the, in the lobby of a church somewhere, the discussion is thick about the pros and the cons of, of this person or that person. And there's co commitment to this party or that party or to this ideology or to that ideology or this philosophy or that philosophy or this man or that man or this woman or that woman. And people are trying, everybody's trying to persuade you to their side and they hammer you constantly with your voice needs to be heard. You have a right to vote and your voice, your voice needs to be heard. Got to let your voice be heard. Now I'd say this, that as important as the American political process is, and it is important, don't get me wrong, it is important, but but the American political process pales in comparison to the spiritual conflict that is going on 24-7, 365, and has been for thousands of years. There's, in that battle, in that conflict, there's two opposing positions, two opposing uh, kingdoms. Christians, those of us that name the name of Christ, those of us that have bowed the knee, those of us that are a new creation, Paul would call us. We're called to be unashamed. Paul says, I'm unashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why am I not ashamed of the gospel? Because it is the power of salvation. That's why I'm not ashamed of it. And so those of us that would, 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 would have bowed our knee and are saved, we just shouldn't be unashamed of our true representative, of our, of our true spokesman, and his name is Jesus Christ. And in that election, y'all, that's the only election that, that matters. And in that election, your vote, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light, who are you going to vote for? In that election, it should be so clear, so clear who you're going to vote for. If you name the name of Christ, then somebody other than yourself needs to know about it. Somebody other than the, the, the man or the woman in the mirror, if you name the name of Christ, needs to know about it. God has called every one of his children to be the press secretary for the king of kings and for his kingdom. And he's called us to be the press secretary for the king of kings with the goal of winning folks and leading folks out of this kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. With the goal of being a city on a hill. Y'all, we call this evangelism. That's what it's called. It's called evangelism. And you need to ask yourself, in that arena, in this spiritual arena that we're talking about, has your voice been heard? Has your voice been heard? That's what's truly important. Has the fact that you're a Christ follower, has that been heard? Now, with all, with that, all of that said, we're continuing our, our walk through Paul's letter to the, to the Roman church. And we're going to be in Romans chapter 13 today. What's the relationship between the Christian and the state? What's the relationship between a Christian and the government? And Romans 13 is not the only place we're going to be looking a little bit in one of Paul's letters to, 
to Timothy, his spiritual son. We're going to look at, at, at Titus. We're going to look at, at, uh, uh, at a passage in, that Peter wrote in 1 Peter. Uh, but, but Romans 13 is the clearest, I believe, is the clearest and the most formidable passage that addresses, that deals with this issue of the, of the relationship between a Christ follower and the government. So which is paramount, the church or the state? I believe that God pulls absolutely no punches when he deals with this issue. And what he has to say, what he has to say to a believer is probably going to be shocking to some folks. And in very simple uh, terms, in a flying at about 35,000 feet, simply stated is that God expect, expects Christians to live as a testimony of righteousness, just doing, of doing what's right, a testimony of righteousness while we're living alive on this planet. Now, you very well may not like this. I'm going to ask you to hear this whole message. Don't start throwing stuff. You very well may not like this, but whatever kind of government, whatever country, whatever time you live in, whatever century, whatever circumstances, it don't matter when, where, or how, the principles in Romans 13 about our conduct are in force and apply, period. Period. They apply. And so here's how Paul addresses this in Romans 13, starting in verse 1. He says, let every person. Does that say let every other person? Okay. It says let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, because of that, therefore whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he doesn't bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God and avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom re uh, respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Y'all, big principle, huge principle, is that government is to be obeyed. Government is to be obeyed. This passage and some others we're going to look at, crystal clear. Believers, me and you, are to be subject to the government. It doesn't matter how the government was appointed or elected or by whom they were appointed or elected. It may have been the Senate. It may have been some army in a military coup. It could have been a vote by the people. The Scripture doesn't care. It doesn't say how or by whom they came into power. The authority whether the authority is just or unjust, whether it's good or bad, whether it's fair or unfair, whether you think it's legitimate or whether you think it's illegitimate. Scripture makes no exceptions. Y'all, if you think the vote was legitimate or if you think the vote was illegitimate, Scripture doesn't care. It doesn't say anything about any of that stuff. It says, be subject to the government, obey the government. That's what the Scripture says. Now, for some of us, Frankly, 
that's becoming a little bit more of a challenge with each setting of the sun. Is that true? Okay. For many folks, particularly Christians, particularly Christ followers, we don't necessarily like the way that the government is heading in the United States. I don't. I don't. Do you? Okay. Look at, look at what is going on. We don't like the moral choices that the government's making. Legalizing same-sex marriage, the, 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 the way that abortion is just, we just kill a baby just because for nothing. And, and states across our country have passed and are passing laws that make it less restrictive. Like, are you kidding me? Millions and millions of babies are murdered. They're legislating gender choice. Did you have a boy or a girl? I don't know. We'll let him decide when he's six. Like, what kind of nonsense is that? But the government says, so we don't like all that stuff. The elevation of, of immoral people, the encroaching uh, on our lives, the stripping away of freedoms that happen every day. Those are things that disturb Americans, particularly Christian Americans. Very disturbing. It makes you mad, don't it? Okay. And to some great degree, all of that and more, but all of that creates a rebellious attitude towards the government. You feel persecuted, don't you? Okay. And that may not play out as outright revolution, but at a, at a minimum, there's a, re, there's a revolt of the heart. There's a revolt of the mind. Now, let me, with that said, let, let me tell you about the world that Paul wrote Romans into. He writes this letter to the Roman church from Corinth in about around A.D. 57 which is about 25 years or so after Jesus goes into the tomb dead and comes out of the tomb alive. We sang about that this morning. Really dead, really alive, and he ascends to the right hand of the Father. So it's about 25 years after that happened. Richard spoke kind of briefly about that uh, last Sunday. I want to expand on that a little bit. This time that Paul is writing into his first century, it was an age of slavery. Big-time slavery, of owning people, of rampant abuse. It was an age of absolute rulers. You think that you know what an absolute ruler is. You don't. It was an absolute dictatorships. The king, was the dictator a benevolent dictator, a loving dictator? No, no. Was Nero, was Domitian, was uh, Caesar a gut? No, no, none of them were. After the Roman Republic ended, Caesars kind of came into power. So Caesar was a king. And although there were for sure reactions to some of the abuses and the absolute authority that the Caesars possessed, they could do whatever they wanted. They could do whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted to do it, and however they wanted to do it. If they came into my house and said, I want your wife, what am I going to do? This just soon slipped my throat. So they had absolute authority. They could do whatever they wanted to do. And they were deemed to be a god and were to be worshipped. And you, so you worshipped them. All of the power of the entire Roman Empire, which is the greatest empire on the planet at the time, and by that I mean immensity and size, all of the power of the entire Roman Empire was vested in one man. And his hands could do whatever he wanted to do. And in Israel... Herod wielded 
really the same by the authority of Rome, wielded that same power. He could have a prophet beheaded with zero consequences, John the Baptist. He could have two-year-old baby boys slaughtered in the streets while mama watches with no consequence. Y'all know that story. You hear it every, every December. And he could do it just because he wanted to do it. Crazy power and authority. And at the same time, taxes were heavy and burdensome and they hung like a noose and a weight around the, the necks and shoulders of the people. The tax collectors were extortionists and thieves and robbers. And the tax collectors were permitted to take however much they could get as long as they gave the taxing authorities, Rome, whatever Rome required. Beyond that, they were on their own. They could do whatever they wanted. They were essentially in Israel, the Jews who had bought the, the franchise, the tax collecting franchise. Essentially, they were the Jewish mafia in Jerusalem. That's what they were. They were extortioners. They get whatever they wanted to whatever they wanted to get as long as they gave Rome what Rome's cut was. Caesar Augustus had so much power that he could say the whole world is to be taxed and he could demand that everybody go to their own town and be identified. Y'all know the story. How did, how did, why, did they, why did Mary and Joseph and Jesus come back from Egypt? They had to go and be identified so they could what? So they could pay taxes. And Caesar Augustus could say that to the whole world that they all had to do that. It was a unilateral decision on his part, and he was accountable to no one. Jews, by the way, under that, that, that Roman tyranny were oppressed, and they were underprivileged. They were the, a minority with no voice whatsoever. No voice in the Roman government. They paid heavy taxes, exorbitant taxes, with absolutely no say-so, no right to weigh in on any decision whatsoever. And it's in that world, <clears throat> in that world, that Jesus says in Matthew 22, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. But listen, Jesus did not come to, to affect social change. He did not come to revise the tax code. He did not come to be an economist and predict whether interest rates are going up or going down. That's not why he came. He didn't come to be, he's not a politician. If he'd have been a politician, he'd have been born a politician. He, that's not it. He was not concerned with all of those things. Was he aware of them? Of course he was. Was he aware of the needs of the widows and the orphans and the people who were sick and oppressed? Y'all, of course, he knew there was a great need to care for those people, the poor and the sick. Of course, because they were horribly treated and abused, and so he knew that. But he did not come, he did not come to bring about social revolution. He did not. He came about to change the human heart. He came about to change our hearts. That, that's why he came into the world. He came to change our hearts, not, not to provide some kind of political freedom. Now his guys. That's what they expected. They've been oppressed by Rome and by some other government for hundreds of years. And so that's what they wanted. But that's not why he came. He came to change a heart. It was not their social justice that he sought. He didn't participate in civil rights. He didn't. He wasn't involved in a crusade to abolish slavery. Was slavery horrific? Yes, but he did not come 
to abolish slavery. He preached the gospel. He preached the gospel. And he knew that all that is just and all that is equitable and all that is right and all that is noble, all of that would happen when a man's heart gets changed. When a man becomes a new creation, when a woman becomes a new creation, all that is right and all that is noble, all of that will happen and he knew that. He was not interested in a new social order. He was interested in a new spiritual order. And so he didn't come to create a new nation. He didn't. He came to, to birth the church. He came for his body, the body of believers for all time. And there have been tons of folks all across history who've been in terribly abusive systems. The problems of the first and second century Christians, the problems they faced, terrible. The problems today, people living in, in severe oppression today, in China, in Syria, in North Korea, in Yemen, in Iraq, in Venezuela, all over the planet, y'all. Their problems are way worse than the problems in the United States. Way more severe. And we can complain, and we do. We can complain about this and that and the way things are in America, but no minority group in America has had their two-year-old sons marched in the street and slaughtered while mama and daddy sit and watch. That ain't happened. That ain't happened. So what does this relationship look like, the, uh, the relationship between the, the, quote, state and the Christian? And Paul sets up his words in chapter 13 with some of the latter uh, words that Richard went over a little bit last week, the latter words in chapter 12. In verse 14 of chapter 12, Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. He says in verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. In verse 21, he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? With good. Overcome evil with good. Now, in the world these people were living in, evil shows up in all kinds of different ways to include the government. So Paul is saying we're supposed to bless the very one that is persecuting us. We're not supposed to pay back evil for evil ever to anyone, ever. We're supposed to bless those who persecute us. We're supposed to be different. He says, give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. We're supposed to be a witness. Don't y'all get that? We're supposed to be a witness. When a Christian repays evil for evil, it's a terrible witness to a lost and dying world, and we need to be the city on a hill. We need to be the, the, in the kingdom of the light. And so no matter what society does, no matter what society does to us, Whatever the authorities do to us, we never, ever, ever pay it back with evil. Ever. And as far as we are in control, we seek to be at peace with everybody. Read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It'll, it'll, it is the longest block of, of his teaching anywhere in the New Testament. And he, he tells us this is the way a Christ follower looks. You don't look like the rest of the world. 
You don't act like the rest of the world. You don't talk like the rest of the world. You don't react to things the way the rest of the world does because you're light on a hill and you're my spokespeople for a lost and dying world. We leave the vengeance to God. We serve our enemies. And we're not to be overcome with evil, but we overcome evil with good. The principle is clear as it relates to the government. No matter what they do in, in persecuting us, we don't retaliate. Personal vengeance ain't part of the program. Insurrection ain't part of the program. Revolution ain't part of the program. Rioting in the street, acting like a fool, ain't part of the program. Burning down your neighbor's business ain't part of the program. Right? Bashing windows in, in Applebee's parking lot, that ain't part of the program. Rioting and anarchy in the streets, that is not part of the program. Christians are to be peacemakers. Christians don't long for revolution, y'all. We long for revival. We don't long for revolution. We long for revival. Amen. Amen. Listen to what Paul tells Timothy. His spiritual son, Timothy, is in Ephesus, and he's, he's in a church plan, and he's a young pastor, and, and Paul's trying to teach him and coach him on, on how to shepherd. And he says, first of all, he doesn't say second of all. He says, first of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Pray, intercede, be thankful for all people, including the kings, including the boss people, including all the, the, the muckety-mucks in the government. Why? So that we can lead a peaceful, godly life. Be thankful for all men, for kings, so that we can lead a peaceful life, a godly life, a dignified life. Does that sound like revolution to y'all? It don't. That's not revolution. That's not terrorism. That's not anarchy. Y'all, that is Christianity. That is how real Christians behave in a society that is depraved and jacked up and sinful. We got to look different than society. And it's Jesus that affects that difference. So what's the point in 2021? It's the same as it was in in, uh, in 1921, in 1621, in, in 121. We don't need revolution. We need revival. That's the point. We don't need revolution. And Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Ultimately, the rest of Romans 13 is commentary on the very first verse. You and me are called to be walking, talking examples of, of justification by grace through faith. We're called to be walking, talking, acting, reacting examples of being a living sacrifice. Our, our, our self-sacrificial lives, ought to, we ought to be models of humility. We ought to be models of, of humble submission. And yes, submission to the government authority, no matter, no matter what that government authority is whether it's what we want it to be or whether it's not what we want it to be. That's the biblical pattern for believers. And as I'm studying Scripture this week, and I'm, I like to do word studies because I want to I understand as fully as I can what I'm preaching, and I want you to, that word subject, 
in verse 1. It is in the imperative mood, which means it's a command. It is an imperative. It's a military-ish type word that, that, that means to line up underneath the colonel, to place yourself under the authority uh, of, another, of another in some orderly fashion, to get in line underneath the civil, uh, the civil government. That's what that word subject means. The Bible makes no distinction between good ones or bad ones or moral ones or immoral ones or fair ones or unfair ones. It doesn't make a distinction. Here's an example, y'all. Here's an example. I got three shotguns. I got two 12-gauge shotguns and a beautiful Franchi 20-gauge that's hand-carved. I love that shotgun. It's beautiful. I don't love it as much as I love Susan, but I love that shotgun. <laughs> I got three rifles. I got a, a, a 30 out 6 I got a 5.56, and I've got a Ruger 10.22. Every American should own a Ruger 10.22. It's the basic weapon. Amen. Right. I got three pistols, a 357 revolver I've had for 30 years probably, a 380, and a sweet 32, Beretta 32 that my dad gave me. Anybody ever heard of a 32? It's a weird little gun. I don't know how many guns that is. I don't got a million, but I got whatever, however many that was, nine or ten guns. But you know what? If the federal government passed a law that said no private gun ownership and they came knocking on my door, I'd give them my guns. My 357 is not a Jesus issue. It's not. I got to be subject to the government. Now, you may, you may say, well, I ain't. They ain't prime from my cold, dead fingers. Look, I said that for 20 years. The government comes, they ain't prime from my cold, dead fingers. But, you know, the reality is that sweet 20-gauge, it's not a Jesus issue. My revolver's not a Jesus issue. Y'all, it's not. The, the obedience of Christians to the laws and to the rulers and to the authorities of the system in which we live even though we may be persecuted, it's a matter of obedience to God and a clear conscience before him. Paul, writing to, to, uh, to Titus in Crete. Anybody know how it was in Crete? Crete was a nasty place. Crete was a terribly pagan, de depraved, debauchery, find another D word, terrible place. Paul says to Titus, remind them, the people in Crete, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Peter, in 1 Peter, says, be subject for the Lord's sake. Think about that one. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of the fools that are looking at you. That's when the fool out in the world looks at you and says, how in the world can you react the way you react? And you say, Jesus. That's when a Christ follower looks different. Verse 17 says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Here's the principle, and I believe it's so clear, this principle that a Christian's influence is astronomically greater when he lives a peaceable, quiet, 
godly life, a life of prayer, lifting up the leaders that rule over us. Y'all, I'm praying for the president every day. I'm praying for Joe Biden every day. I prayed for Donald Trump every day. I prayed for Barack Obama every day. I prayed for George Bush every day. Before that, I wasn't a Christ follower, so I didn't pray for nobody. But, but, I, but, I, but I started praying. I'm praying for Nancy Pelosi. What? I'm praying, for, I'm praying for all of them, right? What Should I not want Joe Biden or Donald Trump or George Bush or Barack Obama? If I didn't vote for one of them, should I not want them to succeed? That's nonsense, y'all. I'm praying for it. Christians lift up leadership and we pray for them whether we agree with them or not whether we agree with them or not I think it speaks volumes when our focus uh, to, is to pray to the Lord to pray that God would shower them with grace that he would save them that they would become a new creation that he would transform their heart that he would renew their minds and then he would use them for his purposes, that he would use them in godly ways, that their hearts would change, their minds would be renewed, and, and they, they would legislate differently. Because why? Because Jesus changes everything. He changes everything. You take an old set of lenses off and put a new set of lenses on, and he changes stuff. And you know, in these passages, Peter doesn't give an exception to this, and Paul gives no exceptions in Titus or Timothy or, or Romans. But I want you to know that there is a legitimate exception. As Scripture rolls itself out progressively, which means it, it, there's progressive revelation in Scripture. And so there is, there is an exception to obedience to the government. There is a time when we're allowed to not obey the government. Acts chapter 4. Peter and John and the guys, they get arrested. What do they get arrested for? They get arrested for preaching a resurrected Christ. And oh, by the way, they led four or 5,000 people into a saving relationship with him. But they get arrested for preaching the risen Christ. The next day, they, they're getting interrogated and, and, and they, they're arrested because uh, they, this guy gets healed, miraculously healed. In the name of Jesus, he gets healed. And so the next day, they get arrested and, and they get interrogated and, and Peter is like this. He's like, if y'all, if you're questioning us, about helping this sick dude, this sick dude, then we got to be transparent. We got to be honest. We got nothing to hide. They got nothing to hide. They all said it's in the name of Jesus Christ that he's healed. That there is no other name by which a man can be saved other than Jesus Christ. And now the authorities don't know what to do because they know this guy really did get healed. They saw it. The people saw it. He really did get healed. And so the authorities don't know what to do. And they're just, they're just like, well, let's just shut these people up. Let's just shut them up about this, this Jesus guy. Let's forbid them from even saying the name. And that's what they did. Look at Acts 4, verse 18. So they called them, they, the authorities, called uh, Peter and John and the guys. Uh, they called them and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So there's the law. There's the legislation that passed. With bipartisan support, the legislation passed by the governing authorities. They said, don't you say one word about this Jesus dude. Don't even let the name come out of your mouth. That's what they said, verse 19. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you've got to be the judge of that. Verse 20, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They're like, look, man, we were there. We saw it. I can just, I don't know about all this other theology stuff, 
All I can tell you is what I saw and what we've heard. That's what they said. Now, there's where the authority of the government ends. When the government prohibits you from doing what God commands you to do, when that happens, you do what God commands you to do. When the government tries to, to force you to do what God says don't do, you say, I'm sorry, but I can't. You know, when, when the government mandates what God prohibits, we obey God. And there very well will be temporal consequences, real-time consequences from the government. But you've got to accept the consequences. Here's what you don't do. The government comes to take away my sweet 20-gauge. I don't shoot them. Is that simple? Okay. I don't start bashing people with a baseball bat. No, no, I don't. Now, if the government comes and they tell me, I don't want to hear the name of Jesus coming out of your mouth again, I don't shoot them. I don't beat them up with a bat. I don't get in my car and try to run them over. I say, I'm sorry, I can't do that. But on the way to the police station, I'm sharing the gospel with them. In handcuffs, I don't care, Right? When the government mandates what God prohibits, we obey God. You don't pick up a weapon and stand a guard and start shooting the government authorities. We do what God says to do and we accept the consequences. We do what God says to do and we accept the consequences. And my prayer, y'all, is, uh, is that I could say this and this be true, what I'm fixing to say. If I could say it and it'd be true. Tying my tongue up in a knot. I'm getting ready to say something, and I hope that this is going to be true. And it is this that if any Christian is ever imprisoned or punished, that it will never be for anything other than proclaiming the name of Christ, and in all other matters, we obey the government. My prayer is that that would be true. That we're not out in the streets acting like morons. Don't act like a moron. Please don't. It's not an effective witness. That's a simple statement. Somebody hashtag that. Look at Acts chapter 5. So they bring the guys back before the council, the Sanhedrin, the ruling authorities, Peter and John and the guys. The high priest comes in and he's like, oh my gosh, i got to shut you people up again. Why? Because they're preaching the risen Christ again. They didn't stop. Heck no, they didn't stop. I mean, you think about Paul is, this is not Paul, but Paul is chained by the, by the guard, the 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 special ops in Rome, the, the most elite soldiers, they've got Paul in chains 24-7 and they have to guard him 24-7. You think Paul didn't share the gospel with every one of them? <laughs> I promise you he did. So take me, put me in the police car and let's talk about Jesus for a little bit on the way to the, to the police station. And so they didn't stop and the high priest says to him in verse 28 of Acts chapter 5, he's like, what part? Think about it. You got the high priest and he's got Jesus' guys. And he is like, what part of y'all need to shut up did y'all not get? Now, that's the Ed translation. That ain't, don't be trying to find that in the Bible. He's like, we said stop, and y'all filled up all of Jerusalem with this nonsense. So here's what Peter and the apostles responded in verse 29. Think about that scene. They've been telling them, forbidding them with bipartisan support, forbidding them from naming the name. They never stopped. They never stopped. Verse 29 they said, we must obey God rather than men. 
That's simple. It could have stopped there, but what did they do? They started sharing the gospel with them. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. They're saying, in case y'all missed it, let me just tell you about this Jesus guy that you're prohibiting us from naming his name. Oh, by the way, God exalted him, verse 31, at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, and we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So yeah, y'all, we need revival, not revolution. And we cannot allow Christianity to get confused with a political movement, ever. It's not, Christian, Christianity is not a political movement. Jesus has nothing to do with insurrection. Jesus has nothing to do with revolution. Jesus has, has nothing to do with civil disobedience. Revival, revival, not revolution. Well, then how do we affect change as Christ followers, as believers? Change on big issues. And little issues, the answer is the same. Issues like abortion, that's a big issue. The murder of millions and millions of unborn babies every year. It is so tragic. Again, the government has passed and keeps passing laws to make it less restrictive. Do we riot? Do we wreak havoc in the streets? Do we start an armed overthrow of the federal government. No. We preach and we share the risen Christ one person at a time and the Lord will change hearts. And when a heart changes, a mind is renewed. And when a mind is renewed, lives change and decisions change. Revival, not, re not, not rebellion. Issues like gun rights, we talked about a minute ago. Do we riot in the streets? Do we wreak havoc in the streets? Do we start an armed overthrow of the federal government? No, we preach and we share the risen Christ one person at a time and the Lord will change hearts. And when hearts change, minds are renewed and lives change. Revival, not wreaking havoc. Issues like health care and immigration and taxes. What if they change the tax rate to 70%? What you going to do? Do you riot? Do you wreak havoc in the street? Do you start an armed overthrow of the federal government? No. You don't. You preach and you share the risen Christ and the Lord will change hearts and minds will change and votes will change and decisions will change and policies will change. Revival, not rebellion. Let me encourage all of us this morning. All the leaders on the planet, it's the second song that we sang. Our God is in control. All the leaders on the planet are in his hands and all the leaders on the planet are playing their part underneath the sovereign rule of the Lord. And it ought to make me and you, it ought to give us comfort. It ought to give us comfort because it means that God is in the, in the workings of the affairs of men. He's in the workings of the affairs of the, of the leadership across the planet. He holds the world in his hand. And he's taken the failures and the successes. He's taken the the good stuff and the evil stuff. He's taking the evil stuff, y'all, and he's working it for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28 is a promise. It is a promise. And it doesn't say a few things. It doesn't say just the good things. This is all things. He's working for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. He's taking the Hitler. He's taking the leadership in China. He's taking the, all of it. And for those that love him and are called according to his purpose, he puts it in a bucket, he stirs it up, and he uses it for good. 
He uses it for good. That's hard for me to say because half my family died in concentration camp. But he uses it for good for those that love him. We are called to revival, not revolution. And revival begins with prayer. Y'all, and we pray, I ask, pray for the leadership in our church all the way up to praying for the federal government. Pray for, uh, for um, Kim Jong-un. Pray for him. Pray for the leadership in China. Pray that their hearts would get changed. You know, I had a friend, and we don't think politically the same, and, and she said to me, I just want to check out. It doesn't matter which election it was, but she said, I just want to know what you thought. And I said, well, I'll pray for him every day. I said, how about you last time? She said, I prayed that he got that he would get assassinated. And I'm like, what? Like, what kind of ridiculousness, is that a word? What kind of ridiculousness is that? Pray. I want us to be a people of prayer. I want to ask y'all to come down front and pray right now. I'm not kidding. I want us to pray together for the leadership in our country. If you voted for Joe Biden, be down here praying for Donald Trump. And if you voted for Donald Trump, be down here praying for Joe Biden. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. We vote for Jesus. We vote that he would change hearts. Look, I'm not going to change nobody's heart. But I feel honored and privileged to be in a place where I get to maybe lead somebody to the one that does. That's what all of us need to be doing. All of us. What would it look like if every member of the House of Representatives and every member of the Senate was a Christ follower? Holy moly, what would that look like? There's a prayer. What if all of us and all of you watching on TV, what if we prayed every day that the Lord would change the heart of every single politician on the planet that's not a believer? What if that was our prayer? And what if the Lord stepped up and did that? That's the prayer. Y'all, that's the prayer. And it begins with me and you on our knees. It does. It begins with me and you on our knees. And so I am inviting us to pray together. And here's the deal. If you are sitting here or watching online and you've never bowed that knee and you've never said yes to that offer, it's got to start with you. It's got to start with you. And it ain't some big complicated formula. Repent, turn away from your sin, and turn towards the Lord. Repentance is two parts. It's turning away from the sin and turning towards the Lord and believing, confessing and believing, confessing that Jesus is the leader and the forgiver of your life and believing that he walked out of that grave alive and he paid, the, uh, a just God demanded that the penalty be paid. You just didn't have to pay it, right? He paid for you. That's a sweet deal, y'all. That's sweeter than my Franchi 20 gauge. That's a sweet deal. And so if you've never said yes to that, I consider don't let your head hit the pillow tonight without considering the saying yes to that offer. Let me pray for us. And I am inviting whoever wants to come down and pray, please come down and pray. <clears throat> Lord, we do love you today. And we thank you. We thank you for your grace and mercy. Lord, we thank you for the authorities that, that you allowed to be in control, that you allow to be in control, that you continue to allow to be in control. Lord, let us be subject to them. Let us be an example 
of the way that you walk and the way that you talk and the way that you react to the world. Let people look at us and say, I want me some of that. What is it that makes you different? Well, let's talk about that. So, Lord, we lift all of them up to you. Lord, I lift Joe Biden up to you right now. I lift all the Republicans, all the Democrats, all of the leadership in our country. Lord, I pray for their success. All of them. And if you're listening or watching or if you're here and you have never said yes to that offer, let me just pray this with me. Today is the day where I say yes, Lord. Today is the day where where I confess with my mouth that you are the Lord and I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. Lord, please save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, y'all, our prayer team is in the back. So if you got a prayer need, if you made a decision today, our prayer team is in the back and they would love, love, love to pray with you, pray for you, to love on you.